that was always something when I was trying to present campaign results, um, presenting back an ROI and really pointing to the attribution pieces of it was hard. And, and I, I, I do remember our CEO at one point saying, yeah, those results, it's sort of like looking at black magic. Buyer behavior isn't the same and the old sales funnel is no longer relevant. So Square Two is smashing the funnel and encouraging businesses to think differently about their approach to marketing, sales, customer service, and revenue generation. Join us for season two of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. This season with an amazing lineup of industry experts will focus on revenue performance measurement and optimization. And now for your host, Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist at Square Two. Hey everyone, welcome to season two, episode seven of Smash the Funnel, the podcast. You know, this season, we decided to really focus on some of the more challenging aspects of marketing and sales today. Specifically, how do we measure sales and marketing performance? And even more importantly, how do we improve and optimize that performance? So today, I'm really thrilled to have a special guest with us for episode seven, Mitch Rose, Senior VP of Sales at Build Trust. Mitch, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mike, and I'm glad that I am episode number seven, lucky number seven. <laughs> awesome. So, Mitch, uh, for listeners who don't know, tell us a little bit about Bill Trust and maybe a little bit about your background, too, so we can get to know you a bit. Yeah, sure. No problem. So, first, I'll start with Bill Trust. Bill Trust is a company in the fintech space. Our focus is all about automating accounts receivable. Um, what does that mean? It means things like if you're a company and you got to get your invoices to your customers, get payment portals where they could pay you, apply those payments, uh, work on collections. Um, that's what we help automate. Our focus is on uh, mid to large size B2B companies. So uh, our customers can range from like a mid-sized electrical distributor that might do business in one state like Pennsylvania and have like a handful of uh, branch locations to like multi-billion dollar companies like Coca-Cola and CDW and Toshiba. Hmm. So we're, we're kind of all over the board in that regard. Yeah, it's really uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, as far as I go, um, I've been around for a while in the marketing space. I've worked for some large size companies like Coca-Cola and Kraft in marketing roles. But I moved over to the B2B side, gosh, almost 15, maybe even more than that, years ago. And uh, I've been with Build Trust for 13 years. The vast majority of it was building up and uh, running marketing. And just in the last year and a little over a year, I moved into a leadership role on uh, running our sales. Great. Excellent. I really appreciate that. And that gives us good context for you uh, in terms of some of the comments you'll be providing us. So, I mean, I know a little bit about you and what you're up to at Build Trust. Uh, I know that the marketing and sales team execute a pretty comprehensive set of tactics and use a decent sized tech stack. So maybe you could share with the listeners how Build Trust goes about calculating ROI on, on those investments. Yeah, sure. And um, you yeah, have to start off with, if you go back like five years ago, we in the marketing department, we weren't talking about tech stacks at all. I mean, obviously we had done what I think a lot of companies have done, which is maybe have a good CRM system um, and some kind of a, a marketing automation system. But what's happened over the last five years for marketers is, is explosive. And 
the range of technology that's available um, is significant. So for Build Trust in particular, we now have made marketing investments to help us with our targeting efforts, how we execute campaigns at the account level, um, ROI tools uh, that we could use with our customers to collaborate, pricing tools, contract generation tools. So it's a, it's, we're applying technology really across the marketing sales tech uh, stack in a wide variety of ways. And, you know, the question is, how do we get there? Well, it definitely started with us strategically. Every year we do start strategic planning in July and finish it up in November. Based on the strategic plans, we know what our goals are, what our key priorities are, and we, and we use that to identify what, at least from the marketing and sales department, what technologies do we need to have in place? So what's working, what's not, and what do we need to invest in in the future? You know, account-based marketing uh, really was nothing we started investing with in, until a couple of years ago. It's a good example of uh, shifts in our goals and, and how we were doing some of our targeting that led us down the path of starting to invest in a ABM type system. Nice. That's pretty interesting. And, you know, like one of the comment I want to make, you know, on this question, it's a tricky one because when we're serving up a justification in a marketing automation, you know, there's, there's obviously two ways we're going to do it to justify the ROI. The most obvious one for marketers, because we all think about growth a lot is, Hey, if I invest in this tool, what kind of growth will I achieve? But there's a whole other layer of marketing and sales automation technology, which is as a company grows and you have to do things like generate contracts and generate quota, uh, generate pricing proposals, and even get pricing approved within an organization that eats up a lot of time. So you're either going to add people to support some of those processes or you're going to invest in technology that's even going to just provide efficiency. So you're saying so, the ROI is not always on the revenue side. Sometimes the ROI could be on the efficiency side of things also. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, there's a lot of research and commentary in the marketing space now, and I'm kind of one of those people around, you know, how accurate and, and how valid are some of these ROI calculations? You know, as an example, you know, when you talk about multi-touch attribution, you know, like how are you actually going to be sure that the money we invested in this particular campaign actually was the only reason that this particular prospect became a lead, became a sales opportunity, became a customer when, you know, they may have interacted with a wide variety of marketing and, and even sales related assets. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you try to um, get some clarity around the validity of some of that ROI data? Sure. And first off, thank you for using the word try, because <laughs> I would say this is definitely an ongoing challenge. Um, what marketing is continuing to produce content, campaigns uh, that have a wide range of different variables in the execution of the campaigns. And it's an ongoing challenge. And as a head of marketing, um, you know, from when I was heading marketing, that was always something when I was trying to present campaign results, um, presenting back an ROI and really pointing to the attribution pieces of it was hard. And, and I, I, I do remember 
our CEO at one point saying, yeah, those results, it's sort of like looking at black magic. Because it's a a real challenge. Um, I will say this. At the highest level, when you're the head of marketing, it's easy to look back on a year, look at how much money you spent on your campaigns and your people and what your results were. How many yeah, leads were you looking? That's great. But yeah. when you get into the campaign and the attribution, um, we've continued to invest in tools. And the good news is most of the marketing automation companies um, have gotten a lot better at attribution and, and understanding what are the different variables and the different touch points and when they occurred to really help understand a campaign result. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that you know, when we execute campaigns, in particular at Build Trust, we're a complex sale. Our sales cycle could be nine to 12 months. Mm-hmm. And a, a multi-touch campaign that spans over a few months, you may not know the results of it where you could truly report on results until a year later. Yeah. I mean, to me, it always like the definition of good marketing is multi-touch and an ongoing um, engagement with, with prospects. So it's, it's almost like the best marketing is the most difficult to create individual campaign ROI metrics around. Like, and I think you're right in looking at it at a high level, like, Hey, here's what we invested at a high level. And here's the results we got. Like that's to me really the only place you can have a relatively intelligent ROI conversation with any degree of certainty that the, the ROI data is at least interesting enough to talk about. Yeah, I agree, Mike. And, and, and then you think about the multi-touch and I agree any campaigns worth their salt these days need to be multi-touch. And, and then as marketers, we want to isolate, we want to understand what variables are working best in your campaign. So, you know, the best thing to do and, and most of the marketing automation software and, and there's other software that can help with this, lets you do a B testing mm-hmm. where you could try different content or maybe in the multi-touch campaign, you try a different sequence of touch points in a different order. And then you're looking at which one works best. Yeah. I'm still, and I think that's where we have to get to, but I still, those are the tools that are still being worked on that will really help us understand which variables in multi-touch campaigns do work the best. Yeah. There's definitely a lot more ability to, get insights into how campaigns are performing and do that testing. And then even more importantly, run some optimization uh, activities around those campaigns to get them to perform better. But that's still not ROI. That's more just kind of like individual campaign performance, which has a whole other set of metrics that would would go along with that. Um, Really interesting conversation. Help, Help us understand a little bit the frequency that Bill Trust might think about or that frequency that you're thinking ROI data would become interesting? I mean, is it a monthly thing you would look at? Is it a quarterly thing annually? How how would you suggest that the people listening to this start to think about the frequency of looking at ROI? Sure, and again, this gets at um, the conversation we had, but so ROI, when you think about marketing and the key KPIs, the ones that uh, all the executives wanna see, and frankly, the ones the salespeople care the most about, those have to do with how many leads do we bring in, how are they converting and moving through the pipeline, and how are we doing in terms of closing deals. 
we meet um, as a sales and marketing team. We have weekly forecasting calls where we often will touch on a lot of that activity and what we're doing. But at the end of every month, um, the executive team, we do pull together those KPIs, the ones at the highest level. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do, as a marketing team, set goals monthly, how many leads we want to generate, uh, how many we want to move through different stages, and what our our closing goals are. And um, and so we're tracking that maniacally monthly. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I said to you before, the big picture when we get into strategic planning is we're really looking at the marketing holistically in terms of the whole team, the investment in the team, all the campaigns and the results being produced in terms of uh, leads and revenue. But then when we get into campaign, it's going to depend, right? Is it a campaign that we can measure? Uh, For example, maybe there's a campaign leading into a big event and we can measure the results almost immediately after we conduct that event. Mm-hmm. So that one could, could be done in real time right. versus a multi-touch campaign with the intent of penetrating a hundred targeted accounts um, and closing business with them. And we may not be able to measure those results for a year. Right. Especially when you have a long sales cycle, that gets even trickier. So we, we, we've talked a lot about marketing ROI, but there's obviously a sales conversation here too. So uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, looking at ROI from a sales perspective. Is that, you know, my feeling would be that would also be very high level. Like here's what we're investing in sales and here's what the sales team is producing in terms of conversion rates and closed business and revenue. Is that generally how you, you look at the sales ROI? Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. And, you know, for me, I spent my whole career in marketing up until, um, the last year and a half. And I, and I always considered myself the kind of marketer, especially when I moved to B2B, that was empathetic with sales. And I was all about making sure everything we did was openly supporting the sales team when it comes to B2B sales. Mm-hmm. What's amazing once I moved into the head of a sales role is how many things I feel like I, I missed in that synergy, things I could have done better when I was in marketing to make sure that um, as we report on results, as we understand what's working and what's not, the content, as we want to make sure the sales team is using the content, things I could have done better. Um, and I do recommend to a lot of folks on this call that are, are in marketing roles that you try to find the time to spend a couple of weeks where all you're doing is shadowing a salesperson and, and walking in their shoes. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. We've had similar, and we've talked about this before, but we've had similar kind of upbringings. My my marketing jobs have always been closely aligned or even in support of sales. And I do think you get a very different perspective on what marketing is supposed to be doing to support sales when you're brought up that way, as opposed to being in more traditional corporate marketing roles or product marketing roles where you're pretty removed from what the sales people are doing you it's almost like you have a kind of a jaded perspective on what's going on and what that ends up producing is some programs that are not really designed to help sales do what they're trying to do which is close business and ultimately that's marketing's role too is to help sales close business which brings me to this concept of the revenue team which is something that square two promotes pretty aggressively and we wrote a lot about it in our book fire your sales team today but 
Um, maybe you could share a little bit about what Build Trust is doing in this area, or if you've heard about any other companies who are kind of blowing up this traditional approach to two, having two disparate teams, having like the traditional feud between sales and marketing and combining these teams to be one revenue team and looking at the expenses together, putting these people together. So they sit together and work together and there's some single and aligned objectives that they're all focused on together. Talk to us a little bit about your perspective of this and if Build Trust is doing anything at, at least close to this. Yeah, so Build Trust is doing this. And although even here, we there's constant room for improvement, but um, I think it's critical and I think it's a best practice. Um, you know, when I look back a lot, years ago, we didn't have the tools and the technology. It would have been almost harder for there to be a revenue team and sales and marketing to be aligned. But with all of the marketing automation technology, it makes it so easy for a marketing and sales team to have common objectives, which typically have to do with what's coming into the pipeline and what's going out of the pipeline and obviously everything that goes on in between. And I, I think it, it, it's a critical for success in the future. So at Build Trust, we moved to a revenue model six years ago. Um, sales and marketing sit right, pretty much right on top of each other. Um, our weekly forecast calls, marketing is involved in, um, there's a, a huge amount of cross-functional activity with both teams together, um, helping each other. And, and the most critical piece is marketing's goals are the same as sales goals. Um, that's, that's which wasn't always I, the case. I, I never really thought about the technology being the enabler to drive sales and marketing in alignment, but it does, it does make a lot of sense. It basically gives a common platform, a common language, a, a common place for marketing and sales to basically be looking at the same information and, and, and collaborating on a lot of things they should be working on together. So that, that does, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, so in your opinion, you're, you're, you're saying that it's, it's kind of a non-negotiable. Like if you're looking for sales and marketing alignment, whether you're doing this revenue team or you just want your sales and marketing team to work more closely together, you're suggesting that marketing automation and, and, and closely aligned CRM are, are, are going to be really important. I am. And, and it really is what I see, you know, again, as a, a financial technology company in the FinTech space, um, I'm, I'm very aligned with many other fintech companies and almost all of them have moved or are moving to uh, really the, the revenue model. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's something that'll kind of move down market a little bit and some, you know, I, I know you're probably technically mid, mid market, right? At 140 million. Is that, is that still technically mid market? Our target, well, first of our target audience is, is around that. I'm, I can't really discuss where Build Trust in particular is in terms of revenue, but mm -hmm. um, we're, we're definitely in the, uh, a mid-market. But I am right. absolutely... So do, you think, do you think smaller companies will start taking a similar approach? I think they are. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think we, you know, even in FinTech, keep in mind, there's an awful lot of startups. It's, mm -hmm. it's an explosive area of financial technology, just like marketing technology, mark tech is, mm -hmm. and ad tech. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I see it starting almost immediately. 
um, in startups. I, in fact, I think for many companies just getting started, it, it's more intuitive. And again, going back to the enabling technology, I think the word you used was perfect, that technology is really enabling it. The technology, when I first made an investment at BuildTrust in marketing technology, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty significant because we were already um, a relatively decent sized company. The good news for a smaller company that's just starting on the growth path is they could get into some pretty good marketing automation technology for a pretty reasonable price and just get yeah. kickstarted. Yeah. And if you have that technology, you're more than halfway towards being in a revenue model anyway. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, think back to that, the, the time when you, you, know, you, you took that recommendation to your leadership team you know, to buy that marketing automation software. What, what was that experience like? Did they, was that an easy conversation to have? Did, did they, were they looking for a lot of numbers? Like how did, how did you convince them that this was something that you know, they, they really need? Uh, it was rough. So, um, you know, five or six years ago, um, to go, to go to them, be, be, again, might've been even actually more than that, seven years ago, when marketing automation was just still really taking off in many ways, um, and starting to have the discussion with, uh, the CEO on MQLs and SQLs and, uh, qualified leads and why it's important to measure these things and how it would lead to results. It was, it was not an easy conversation. Um, it took time and, um, you know, fortunately, um, our, you know, our CEO, and I think most CEOs are relatively entrepreneurial and, uh, they understand the growth. I think the good news today is marketing automation has been so widely adopted, adapted and is continues to grow that um, I think it's probably going to would be an easier conversation than the one I had. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, back it's, when it's, I did. It's really kind of become more like, um, like uh, financial management software. Like you would never have a company without, you know, QuickBooks or some type of financial management software. I, I think marketing automation and certainly CRM for sure is starting to become one of those, what we call uh, platform technologies that you, you really can't have a business without it. I think the QuickBooks is a perfect analogy. You know, there was a point in time, and I think it's hard for a lot of us to understand that people were operating their businesses on spreadsheets. Right. And getting them to use QuickBooks was probably a big deal. Right. right. And, and I think you're right. That's where we are with marketing automation technology. It's, um, it's, it just makes sense as a base level thing for companies of all sizes. But but the good news is I'm very – in fact, a perfect example, of that was hard to do then. When we come up with new technology we want to invest in now, it's easier because we've proven it's worth. Right. We proved the worth of, you know, our marketing automation system and some of our uh, targeting systems that we use so that when we went to make an investment in ABM, account-based marketing, it was not as difficult of a conversation at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think the uh, CEOs and the board and do you think they understand the complexity of marketing and everything that goes into it this day today and from an execution perspective and, and why these tools are so, uh, you know, literally a requirement. Do you think they, they get the complexity of marketing? 
Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I do. I, I, I don't think it, the education is as, um, as significant as it had to be a while ago. Now, I think marketers have to be careful, and I made this mistake. Walking into a board meeting and starting to talk about MQLs, SQLs, and SALs when I, when I was doing it took an awful lot of education, and I don't even think it's necessary. I don't think board members, most people on the board are going to be a lot more interested in what re, the high-level results mm-hmm. than, than the MQLs, SQLs. However, um, you know, the, when you go one layer down, there's no beyond the board. There's no question with an executive team. They're going to want to understand what's happening with conversion rates. How do we improve the age of deals in our pipeline? How do we, you know, it's marketing is not just about filling the pipe. It's about closing more deals. It right. takes responsibility for both. Right. And, you know, that's why understanding the language of marketing is more important than ever. And there's no question our executive team at Build Trust understands the vernacular that we're using. They most certainly didn't five years ago. Mm-hmm. Awesome. This has really been good. You want to do something fun? I have a new, I have a new segment I've been trying out. You want to uh, switch gears a little bit? <laughs> sure. Okay, Bring it so on. I call this segment two TWO or two TOO. I'm going to give you two words and you have to pick which one you prefer. You've probably done something similar to this like vanilla or chocolate, dog or cat. See where I'm going with this? <laughs> Go for it. Okay, ready? Yes. All right, sales or marketing? Sales. Okay, nice. Startups or established companies? Startups. Mm-hmm. Inbound or outbound? Inbound. Nice. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Me too. Forms or chatbots? Chat. No, nice. Interesting. We'll have to talk about that in an upcoming episode. Uh, football or baseball? That's close, but I'll go with football. Okay, me too. Okay, last touch or first touch? Oh, I love them both. They're both very dear to me. <laughs> um, I am going to go with first touch. Oh, nice. I like it. Um, direct mail or email? Oh boy, does that depend? I mean, that's a very tough one, but I will. I, I'm going to have to go with direct mail. Is that for your your particular audience? So even within our audience, it depends on how you segment it and who we're targeting, yeah, and what the goals and objectives are. So in some cases, it would be all email, right? And in other cases, it would be all direct mail. I will tell you when we are targeting very large size enterprise accounts. Um, a multi-touch campaign that includes direct mail hmm. is, is we're having a lot more success than just multi-touch campaigns that don't include direct mail, which is why I include direct mail. Yeah. It's, cool. Um, one more organic, uh, traffic or paid traffic. Organic. All right. Nice. Mitch, thanks so much. You've been a really great guest. Uh, in this episode, we talked about how everything, um, uh, right. In this episode, we talked about proving ROI uh, uh, with our sales and marketing campaign with uh, Mitch Rose, uh, Senior VP of Sales at Build Trust. Uh, Mitch, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, in our next episode, 
Uh, in our next episode, we're going to talk to, uh, 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 let me pause this. In our next episode, we're going to talk to uh, Dion Cornette. He's the CEO of ReachForce. And we're going to spend some time talking with him about data, how everything starts with data, where bad data gets you, and how we can look at improving our revenue results by spending a little time and money making sure we have the right data. So, Mitch, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate having you on the show. And uh, let's go smash your funnel. Thanks, Mike.